1: Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents
2: the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell. Uh, Chip Patterson today, not with us. So we get somebody like good impersonation of Chip Patterson. This is the Cover Free Podcast. You're watching us on YouTube. You're giving us those thumbs up and those like and subscribe so you get those notifications when we do go live, or you're listening to us in your podcast feed. If you happen to be listening to us on Spotify, keep in mind you can give us a five-star rating now for the first time ever. So all, all you green textures out there uh, who who love love Spotify, because you can't get Apple Apple Podcasts to us those five stars on Spotify. We really appreciate that. And today we are we're really happy to be joined by Chris Hummer, the Portal guru, literally we we got the number 1 seed, y'all. The, the best Portal guy in the business for 24/7 Sports. Hummer, welcome on to the show. Thanks. Um sorry to be one of those green texters
3: in advance. Um run that Android <laughs> life. But uh I, I have dropped five stars for Covers 3 on uh Spotify cuz it's my platform
2: of choice and I appreciate you having me on boom uh so we only have an hour uh roughly uh there's so much to talk about with 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 the portal there's process there's um how teams handle it how players handle it we need to talk about how like who the top players are in the portal which teams are are changing their fortunes uh, to the good or to the bad with the portal but i i wanted to open um with this is kind of year two now right of immediate eligibility what what are some of the key differences you're seeing this year, uh, maybe compared to last year? I I
3: think the volume of people in the transfer portal has increased, which is shocking given the number we had last year. I think we topped her out around 2,600, and like 2,000 of those were scholarship guys maybe. Um, we're on pace to be over 3,000 FBS players in the portal right now. So the volume is different. But I also think it's just the strategy that teams have looked at the transfer portal with. Before, it was kind of like a stopgap for a lot of programs that use it as a way to either fix some roster holes um, in the short term to avoid getting fired or um, they use it to curb a talent gap they might have had. But I think a lot of teams now are looking at it as a permanent strategy. They're permanently going to take five to seven guys no matter what happens because of the availability of talent. And I also think a lot of players have begun to look at transferring as part of their path for um, whereas before ten years ago, you might graduate transfer um, at the end of your career. Now, I think players are starting to normalize and it. it's going to look like college basketball, where you see a lot of these guys move two or three times, and it's just accepted because it's a normal part of the process. So, I think that's been a huge change.
4: So, do you think do you think we see it like I clearly with the new rule, which lets you transfer one time without penalty? Like, do you think we see it come back? Like, do you think players will at least use a little bit more caution? Like, I almost feel like there's a rush because you have this freedom to choose and you can go without penalty. Like, do you think it slows a little bit? Or do you think that, like you said, it's going to be like basketball. Do you think we're just headed down this path where these numbers are just going to continue to, to soar? I think, it, I
3: think it has to slow because right now we're seeing a lot of players, frankly, being processed because teams have to get under 85. So there are a lot of teams well over 85. And they have to get there no matter what. So you're seeing kids enter the portal that didn't really have a choice frankly which is a really unfortunate side effect of the way the ncaa handled the super senior rule and the covid waivers but i also believe that players are always going to frankly get some bad advice players are always going to make rash decisions and we're always going to see unhappy players in unhappy situations and the portal will always be there as an avenue to address that whether it's rash or not it will be there so i don't think it'll throw slow significantly i will say um, we did a study two years ago looking at the 2019-20 data, and only 38.2% of scholarship players in the FBS ended up staying in the FBS once they entered the portal, so under 40%. And I would, I would hope schools and parents and coaches are educating players on that, and that might curb the tide a little bit or stem the tide a little bit. But I don't, I don't think we're going to see much change in this regard unless there's a wide-scale rule change that prevents um, this much volume. Happening, I just, I just think it's normal
2: at this point. So, I, Chris, one, one kind of follow up I would have to that. Um, we've only had two years where, where guys are immediately eligible, and that's probably been the huge impetus for for dudes to jump into the portal because, you know, we had the portal prior, uh, but you still had to sit out a year. Um, n- next year, we, we will already have you know had two classes of guys who had the opportunity to use their their free transfer. Do you think that could slow it? Just you know, the guys who haven't transferred already might be might have a lower propensity to actually transfer either because they're starting or because they like where they are?
3: I mean, possibly, and given the I, I will say we had five hundred fewer high school kids signed last year, right? And we're tracking towards something similar to that this year as well, maybe not quite that extreme. There're just going to be less bodies available to go in the portal, as you said. And normally, I would say those can just be replaced by the high school kids coming in because we see a ton of freshmen transfer. This year true freshmen but as you said as as we pointed out numerous times at 24 7 sports there are less high school players available so that might slow it but i i still think we're going to average well over 10 percent of fbi scholarship players entering the portal a cycle at least for the near future Uh, especially with super seniors still being a thing for another three years we're going to have all of those bodies without a place to go so i I think at least for the short term we're going to see significant portal activity just because of the way
2: things are set up and keep in mind, the high school class of twenty twenty one didn't get to take visits anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was the COVID recruiting year. So a lot of these guys, either the staff misevaluated or the player picked the school that he never got to visit. Uh, and the transfer process gives them a chance to actually go through the recruiting process, and you could take official visits as a transfer. So I, I'm, I don't know, like that. We we could still see more twenty twenty one high school recruits hit the portal.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think. I think you're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, you, whenever you see a true freshman on the portal, you wonder what the heck happens. Mm-hmm. But as Bud said, you have to remember that a lot of these players didn't meet their coaches until they showed up on campus. Um, we've seen 27 FBS, 28 now, I guess, FBS staff changes happen this offseason. Coaches are moving all over the place. And when you have the ability to instantly change your situation and somebody's in your ear telling you, because tampering tampering's rampant right now. It's not, people aren't even trying to hide it at this point. You see... A player go from one school to the ne- another school the next day with a connection that's quite obvious and clear. so when all of these things are happening at once, um, I think you're going to see a lot of that for sure, and it's very unstable for the freshmen and even the upcoming freshmen that didn't get see a lot of campuses when they were. so I certainly think that plays a factor.
1: Why aren't more people tampering with Caleb Williams yet <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think I think Caleb's family has their own priorities. Um, there's certainly been plenty of tampering with Caleb, I think. But I think Caleb is one of the few people immune to tampering from a monetary perspective. It's, yeah. He is already pretty... His family is very well up. Like, his dad's a trainer in Maryland. They do very well for themselves. I think Caleb, frankly, um, has a few NIL deals that haven't been announced that are going to be worth a significant sum of money. I don't think he's worried about that. I think I think if there's any tampering from Caleb's perspective, it's how much leverage he can create over the situations he's looking to come into um, in terms of um, the control he can have, I guess, is a good way to put that. But I think they're on their own timeline. He's one of the few players in college football that can call their own shots. And I think you're seeing he and his family do a little bit of that right now.
1: How All right. So I was on that, serious,
2: with oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going
1: to say, how crazy is it that we've already reached that point where I know it's always existed to a degree. Where certain players had that kind of leverage where they were able to kind of dictate the terms. But it's just wild to consider where this sport was only a few years ago to where we're now at a situation where like somebody like Caleb Williams is basically saying, "Eh, No, we'll see what you do for me first. And then, you know, I have this leverage. I'll come there if you get this, you give me this, you get that, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's crazy how much power has swung towards the players in this sport considering how little they had as many as three or four years ago.
3: I mean we were counting scoops of mashed potatoes, what, like eight years ago for guys. Mm-hmm. So it is it is pretty different. And yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a an enlightening situation. I'm sure Danny wishes he had the NIL power back in his days at Florida State. So um mm-hmm. it it is it is quite compelling. I think we've seen a couple players the soft season flex that. Quinn Ewers I think is a really good example. They had they had um requests for schools for sure that had to be meet before, met before he chose either one of those and I don't think I don't think Caleb's are quite the same as Quinn's, but um, I think when he goes into Lincoln-Riley's office, he's got some things the family is hoping to get done. I think when he meets with UCLA, it's the same thing. Um, so, I, I know Wisconsin's in the mix now. I don't know how much y'all want to talk about the schools that are actually in there for Caleb, because it's it's an interesting group. But, uh, yeah, players have a lot of power right now. Is that
2: group so is that the group in your opinion though is it is it just USC UCLA Wisconsin do do you buy the idea that he's actually monitoring what's going on at Miami because I've I've heard different things on that
3: yeah I've heard a lot of different things about Caleb um USC UCLA 100% in it I can confirm that through multiple people I have heard Wisconsin brought up a bunch I have not brought it up in my reporting because I don't have enough people on the record saying that I guess we're on a podcast so we can speculate a little bit um LSU You're has expected. been in there as I understand it, like definitely. Um Miami a little bit, but I think they're gonna probably stick with Tyler Van Dyke and they don't have an offensive coordinator at this point. So that is complicated. I think there's a recent national champion that has rumored to be in there a little bit, but ultimately didn't go that direction uh because I think they're a little worried about the quarterback room um disappearing. So I, I think those are the main schools kind of in the mix, but You would think Friday is going to be the deadline. That's the final day. You can take classes at USC for the semester. But I think when you're Caleb Williams, you can always have a couple exceptions made for you if necessary. So I don't think it's a hard and fast deadline like it would be for a lot. of.
1: Maybe one of his requirements is that USC has somebody take those classes for him until he just makes his decision. (laughs) Like a placeholder.
2: This is genius. So Chris, if you are a head coach at State U, how hard are you lobbying to switch to the quarter system?
3: Oh, it's a huge advantage. Um,
2: you can, like, if
3: you're UCLA, which is on the quarter system, I don't know when they start spring practice specifically, but, like, Caleb could technically walk in there in mid-March, not have to go to class for a semester. Although you do have to have a certain number of credits. I will say that to be eligible next year. So there is some resistance there. But the flexibility you have on the quarter system is significant. And I, I think that's a complaint of, when I'm talking to, like, player personnel directors and coaches, there is an imbalance in the transfer portal, and frankly, in, well, not quite as much in recruiting with the way the systems are set up. The quarter system over a semester system makes a difference. When you start your semester makes a difference because of the seven day window you can get transfers in. Um, There's a lot of little things like that that people don't think about. And I think a lot of player personnel directors, especially would love to see the playing field even in that way, because they're just like little, little things like Ole Miss starting late. That is like a little bit of an advantage with the second semester because they can get kids on a visit later they can kind of extend things out, give kids more time before they make their decision. And I think that helped Ole Miss land a couple of players down the stretch that they might not have gotten otherwise just because of their calendar and the way it's set up. Wait, so are I, we, I think you're seeing a lot of that.
1: Are we, are we legitimately talking about coaches trying to get their schools to change their curriculums to make it easier for them to get transfers? Like go to the. No, school, no, hey. I mean, schools changing. I know going. we're. It never I, I know we're a university and all, but we've got to prioritize the transfer portal. So if we could change from semesters to quarters, that would be great. Like, are we legitimately
2: saying that? I, no, I, I just, I, I, just framed the question that way. So, so and, unless Hummer knows something, I don't know. I just, I, I wanted to <laughs> no. like bring the light the whole. Okay. But
4: don't, I don't you think, think going to
2: go too well?
4: <laughs> but here's where, the, and this is where, and Bud, you could speak to this because I know at the coaches' convention, like uh, this is a popular topic. With NIL and the transfer portal is just the unknown and the uncertainty and the lack of any structure, any calendar. I think it's a major problem, and no one's really talking about it because no one feels bad for the coaches. Oh, you guys make all the millions. No one feels bad for them. But it is making their jobs much tougher, especially these player personnel guys managing scholarships, managing rosters. I just I like if this at the base root of it, you feel like if you got a calendar where you at least put some dates on this. All right, here's when you can enter the transfer portal, here's a two week period you can sign in it. And I think it would it would help everybody. Do you think that could be like, is that coming or are we I mean, it's it's impossible to get things done in college football, get everybody on the same page, but it is a problem that people are looking at. Is there a solution that's on the horizon or is everybody just kind of flying blind here?
2: So Chris was at at the convention, too. I'm interested to hear what what he heard on this.
0: Yeah, I I don't think there's an easy
3: solution necessarily. And I think a lot of, like, I I feel bad for coaches. They make way more money than any of us could ever dream of. But the hours they put in right now, and I I know it's hard to feel bad for a guy making a million dollars a year to coach football, but, like, they don't really get vacations. They're working vacations. And right now, with the way the transfer portal works, they maybe get, like, a one-week window all year they're technically off and like and if something happens they're still working in that window it's it's not easy and the imbalance with all of this i think certainly makes a difference as for the transfer windows themselves i think a lot of schools would love that you have let's say a window after spring ball and then a window after the season for players to enter but even that i think has its issues um There's an imbalance of resources like some power five schools might have one or two recruiting guys to handle the load that's going to come with the evaluating and the recruiting with that other schools. um, And the SEC specifically have 10 to 20 to handle that load. There's an imbalance of resource. Um, I think y'all have talked about this before. There's also an issue with can you really limit non employees with a window for them to transfer and change jobs, especially when coaches don't have that same restriction. That's an issue. And honestly, I think the power dynamic would be difficult for players because like, what's the stop? Like, let's say the window's up for spring and you have to transfer by the end of spring or you can't do it. What's the stop? What's the stop of a coach from slow playing guy for the whole window, like convincing him to stay. And then that coach adds a player last second. And you're kind of stuck with that team for another year just because the coach essentially mismanaged or mismanaged your situation and you're kind of out of it. So I think there's a lot of concerns. I, I know there's a lot of momentum for windows like that. I don't know if it'll happen this year just because of some of the problems associated with it, but something will have to change eventually because it is a very difficult thing to manage right now. And it's just super chaotic.
2: Chris, I'm glad you brought up the point about the, what, what some of the G five schools uh, were saying there. We, we were having drinks. with we, we, Well, I don't know if you were there that one that night. Anyway, I, I was having drinks with the coach at AFCA and he was transfer portal window. Got to have it. Got to have it. Right. His DPP was like, no, We can handle the load of evaluations of five or six kids who we think might be in our range who come in a day over like a hundred day period. If you have all these kids jump into the portal, everybody in the pool at once, we do not have the staffing, and they're a decent G5 program to handle that. Right? Like that? Like there's no way we can make all these evaluations. It's going to cause bad fits for kids, and we, we just don't have the staffing to handle that. And that's probably a bigger issue you know, kind of outside the scope maybe of this show with the P5, G5 disparities that seem to be growing. But uh, I don't know that they're going to get the votes for this. Because some people are going to say, no, this is a waste of time because it's going to be litigation city. Uh, other people are going to be like, no, just for practical matters. Uh, but here's something that was proposed to me. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I think the Tennessee situation with the Wyoming receiver, uh, who now, of course, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Bear, was it yeah. who ended up going to Texas. He was enrolled at Tennessee, but had not taken a class yet. Right. I think according to the yep. screenshots of the student directory, I think coaches would like to somehow get these guys to sign some sort of in or not an IL, but in, national letter of intent type paperwork to at least if they sign it, they're, they're off the books and like, you can at least count on those guys being in, I guess.
3: Yeah. I think that's a slam dunk proposal personally. Um, I know the transfer recruiting process is very um, constricted. And it's very, the timeline is uh, advanced considerably. But I feel like once you commit as a transfer, you should be locked in. You should have the option to sign immediately instead of having to enroll in classes. We saw that with Dylan Gabriel at UCLA. He was supposed to literally take his first class that Monday. Um, He doesn't show up for class. I know some UCLA folks were like, what's happening? They make panic calls. And like they found out the quarterback they were building their 2022 season around 2023 as well was just not going. He was going to show up at Oklahoma and they had no idea. Um, Well, not no idea, but they, they figured it out in a way they probably shouldn't have had to. So I do think once you make that transfer commitment, you take a very valuable spot for these teams. Your numbers are up in the air. And once you get a commitment, you expect to at least keep that transfer commitment. I think they should have the option at least to sign right away, because I think that would make things easier for everyone. And frankly, like if I was a player, I'd want to get it done too. But um, you never know who's going to get in your ear, I suppose. So I, I understand why players won't keep that leverage.
1: How do like talking about being at the coaches' convention based on coaches that you talk to? On a scale of one to ten, and Bud, Danny, this is open to you guys as well. Like ten being hate and one being love. How do coaches feel about the transfer portal overall? At least the ones you talk to.
3: I think it's a. I think it's like a five. Um, it's a pain in the. A- oh, can I? I don't know if I
1: can curse. Go for us. it. Pain yeah, in the it's ass. It's a pain
3: in the ass. Um, but also it's a very valuable roster tool. Um, it. I think it closes at the gap. I know. I know we're we're gonna probably talk about Alabama right now and what they're doing in the portal, and how um, how loaded they're gonna be, but it also gives the Nebraskas a world uh, a chance for Scott Frost to save his job. It gives the SNUs of the world a chance to add players they never would have been able to through. So, I think for most coaches, they see it as an opportunity, even if it is a lot of work for them, a bit of a pain. I
4: would, have, wouldn't, wouldn't you say five years ago, coaches would have said ten out of ten, I hate it, like I don't, I don't want to deal with it. And then have we seen some more? Maybe, maybe, maybe ten years ago for sure. But I think it's changed rapidly, where you've seen the success stories of a Joe Burrow, a Justin Fields, like you can go down the list of success stories, Jameson Williams. And you can see, okay, this can be a good thing. We can tweak our roster where, yeah, it's more work. But I think, and, and not only the coach you mentioned, but I look at a guy like new coaching hires when you're kind of hired late in the game, you miss out on that December signing class. And so you're trying to scrape together and you can, you can build. A I mean, even a guy like Greg Chiano at Rutgers, what he did. And, and, um, at Michigan State, like the the turnarounds happen quicker now because you're able to get experienced bodies out there. But I do think the coaches wouldn't have admitted because they were always worried about recruiting and their attitudes toward things. But I think now there have been more coaches that have embraced it, except for Dabo, <laughs> that are just looking at it and saying, "Yeah, this can be an asset," and it's just becoming more like, you know, free agency and an NFL type of operation.
1: I will say there's, I talked to one coach and I would say for the people I talked to, it's probably closer to five and a half, six. I talked to one coach who's at a power five school and the concerns he kind of expressed were he's at a school, it's, it's in the big 12. I'm not going to air him out, but like they are, they're not Oklahoma or Texas. They are one of the programs that, you know, they bring guys in, they develop them and it works for them and, you know, they have their success doing it the concern that this coach brings up though is that he's worried about how the transfer portal is going to impact just a program's ability to develop players in that it's I'm trying to think of the way way he phrased it but in that programs aren't going to feel it is necessary to develop the players themselves because it's going to be about well we could just go to the portal and find guys who just kind of fit what we need any single year and it becomes less and less about high school and like you said earlier like As far as high school recruits last year, there were fewer than there typically are, although I'm guessing COVID had a lot to do with it. But he just he's concerned that a lot of schools are putting a lot less emphasis on the high school recruiting, which his program is hoping to take advantage of. Obviously, they're trying to counter it, but he's just like that's one thing I was wondering what you guys think. About that kind of process? Is the development of players going to become more secondary than just acquiring the players we need who might already be developed? And kind of touching on what you were, Chris, you mentioned earlier with Alabama too, the way that they've just been able to go and pluck some guys to fill holes right away. Like, is that something that could just become a trend by large across the country?
3: I think, as you said, I honestly, frankly, if I was that school, I'd be very excited if schools were going to stop focusing on developing because that's a huge advantage for you. There are already more options for. I don't want to say lower-tier high school recruits, but after about five hundred, there are a lot of hidden gems out there. And if you put the time in and you identify who you need, you're gonna get a lot of players now that you might not have been able to get three or four years ago. Because a school like I don't know, like South Carolina last year took like eighteen transfers. Like there are just more players available to the lower part of the Power Five in terms of resources and kind of overall recruiting expectations in the top half of the G five than there ever have been before. So if I was one of those schools and worried about development, I would just totally shift my focus to high school. And that's like that's something talking to a couple of G5 directors um, earlier last year, they were taking far fewer high school kids early so they could get a lot of the kids that fell down later because there's just gonna be so many options available late in the cycle. And I, I just think it's one of those things where you can take advantage of not necessarily a loophole, but an uh, invalued asset in a way in this era, just because there's so many players out there and so many different strategies and ways to approach the portal. You don't have to go portal heavy to do this. You can go development heavy and still have a lot of success. You might not be on the same track as a lot of the it requires some patience, but you can have a lot of success by still developing in college. Football.
4: And then you I, develop them at the G5 level and you develop a baller. And then he leaves after two years to go to play in the SEC or big 10. Like that's the dynamic that we're in that I think that's what And I would hate that too. You invest those resources into young players, and it's the risk you run.
3: I I will say, and I I get this a lot. You don't see you see some of those players move, like and undoubtedly we see like a Jacob Cowan go from um, UTEP to Arizona. That's their best wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in G five on the move. But I think if you look at the best G five programs, the ones that have a lot of success, you do not see a lot of their best players leave because the culture there is so strong. So ultimately. In those situations, I keep getting told it comes down to culture and how you treat your players. Because your best players at a good G5 program are not usually going to leave. We didn't see Billy Napier in Louisiana lose their best players the last couple of years. Obviously, it's changed this offseason, season, the coaching change at the top. But a lot of those really good group of five teams that have those really good players aren't losing them in the portal as frequently as people think because the culture there is so strong and the opportunities to win are so strong as well. So I just think it depends on the situation. If you're Todd Graham at Hawaii and you're losing your best players, it's because you got some problems on the back end. You know what I mean? So I
4: think,
3: it, I think it's really situational with that. But who I feel bad for in that situation is the FCS. The FCS best players like Cameron Ward are leaving because they have the opportunity to go play a different level of football. So I think those are the teams that are really, really hurt by it. But personally, I think if you have really good culture, you're not going to lose many of your great players on the uh, F5 level just because like, you're going to be able to retain
2: those guys. It is to me like one of those problems that coaches are going to complain about, even if the numbers, like Chris said, probably don't back it up a ton. Um, but I you know, I, I talked to a guy at the convention that Chris and I were at and he was like, This is where like we're a G five school. We're not gonna be competing. Not that you're allowed to spend NIL money on recruits ever, guys, of course, right? Um, but NIL as a retention tool for players that we've developed in-house because there is a, a dynamic where a player is potentially more valuable to your fan base. If they've seen him come up through your program and have enjoyed him, uh, than he would be NIL wise to a new program. I, I think the McKenzie Milton UCF FSU uh, dynamic would, w- would be a good example of this, right? Like McKenzie's always going to matter a whole lot more to UCF fans than he would to FSU fans. Even if he ended up being healthy and had a good year last year, which, you know, unfortunately until I he didn't, but, um, that's where you need to get your, your boosters together and be able to, like, hey, man, we've never steered you wrong. We've developed you. We've built our system around you. We're going to continue to showcase you. And here's 25K to an NIL deal that, that our, our boosters have been able to put together for your junior year, for your senior year. Kind of in the same way that some of the better P5 programs might be using NIL money to keep their potential fifth-round draft picks from going to the league uh, before they potentially should.
4: Chris, how
2: are you? Uh, how are you seeing programs change their strategy as far as like how many guys they take, and then also their their hiring practices to to adapt or or, or take advantage of the portal?
3: Well, uh, you're you're certainly seeing a lot of transfer portal scouts essentially being hired. And Florida just added one. You have Ohio State has a guy like a former NFL scout specifically there to just sit there all season and essentially evaluate every player that could possibly enter the portal, and then they have grades on them. So as soon as they enter, um, they have essentially a take or a not take written down, and see if they can go after the transfer. So we're seeing some of that um, in terms of like strategy of roster construction. I-, I like to think of there's quite a few different transfer portal strategies. Um, one day we're gonna have to write an article labeling all of these. But you have you have your Alabama, your Ohio State, your Georgia tender that's gonna add one or two pieces to plug any holes that they might have though it's kind of laughable that an Alabama might have a hole, you know what I mean, like compared to the rest of us. um, There are the choosy uh, power five as well. That's kind of how to consider that group. There's the desperate power five, I think is a good way to put it. So the coaches that might lose their job um, here in six months that really need to make an immediate impact, you're going to see them take 10 to 12 guys to try to fix immediate roster holes. I don't want to say Scott Frost is desperate, but I think Nebraska is an excellent example of that. This offseason, you have the group of five team that really loads up at home, Um, your Dallas, your Florida, um, those programs, your Houston's that are getting a lot of um, players that are dropping from the power five that are heading there to go back to someplace closer to home and they're getting levels of talent. They never would before. Um, There are a lot of different little examples of this, but I think right now you're seeing a lot of schools choose transfers over. I think this is the key differentiator. You're seeing transfers over borderline high school recruits in a way we've never seen before. So, a guy you were taking a flyer on late in the cycle because you like some of his traits, that guy is not ending up on the power five or the group five as frequently as you used to see. And that's what creates that 500 player gap that we talked about last year. I don't know what the number is going to be this year at the end of the cycle. That's why we're seeing so few high school players uh, entering or uh, finding spots. It's because there's there's always going to be a transfer out there that fits your need and is a more of a guarantee than you would see from the high school prospect.
2: It also makes me wonder if some of these schools are no longer going to recruit the high school level for, for floor, right? Because you feel like you can go out and achieve a decent floor player, a contributor, be a, a potential starter or somebody who you, you're confident can play uh, as a reserve. And if, if I'm running high school recruiting now, for a program especially like a good p5 program i'm only thinking upside i'm if the kid doesn't work out okay we'll, we'll get somebody else in the portal but if you're if your ceiling is a if your ceiling is only like a starter but not like a really really good starter i'm probably gonna pass i i, I just want to shoot the moon on all these because i feel like there's no real downside to, to go into the portal to get depth. absolutely
3: so- and that oh i'm
1: sorry no i was gonna say so kind of like an nba draft approach where everybody just drafts guys on maybe they'll be a superstar
2: instead of hey this guy's actually good yes and high school coaches i know hate this i think this Mm -hmm. is already starting to happen at some places and they're like this is a really good high school player man he might not be a first round pick but like you can't tell me he can't go play at not Obama, is a bad example but you know like oklahoma state or south carolina or you know a, a indiana or somewhere like that right and they're um Maybe those aren't the great examples of, I guess, Carolina's going pretty, you know, pretty portal heavy. Um, But it's definitely impacting the high school level, as Chris said, a lot. It's, it's interesting. Who, uh, so let's talk Bama. They had, what, three holes? And they've basically gone and and addressed them with. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, good on Nick Saban. He he warned everybody, right? Like he he tried. Well, my
1: favorite was when Saban had that quote and the way it went around on Twitter, where like everybody's talking on him, like, "Oh, Saban's afraid of the transfer portal; things are going to change." It's like, no, no, he's just sending a warning shot because he's already got everybody he wants lined up, just ready to come in. And then a couple of days after that, it's like, "Oh, Jameer Gibbs, Alabama." You know, it's just it's like all this stuff is happening. It's and that's we ta- I talked about this earlier on the pod. It's like we had the question in the mailbag last week, I think it was about will the transfer portal be able to improve the floor of programs like Arkansas and these other mid tier power five kind of schools. And it's no, (laughs) because all the great players that are transferring that will be available are just going to be getting vacuumed into the playoff contenders already. So it's, it's not going to change anything. I don't think.
3: Tom, I I know y'all, I know you're a big premier league fan. I don't, I don't probably follow it as close as you can chip to, but it's very premier league. Like, Mm -hmm. like if you're going to see a great player on the move, he's going to go, yeah. So one of the there's like there's like
1: players. 10 teams every single great player ends up at eventually yeah and, and that's that, kind of it's like danny like you were mentioning earlier like with like these g5 schools where maybe a g5 program finds this high school or gets them to come in develops them and then they leave for alabama after a couple of years and i'm wondering if we might see some programs kind of take a similar approach to I, I chris brought up soccer first so talk to him <laughs> but like there are some clubs in soccer, in Europe, who in the leagues, basically what they do is they find young players, they develop them, and then they sell them on to bigger clubs to make money. And that's kind of how they sustain their team, their profits, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if we're going to see some programs eventually, not right away, it will take time, but maybe kind of take a similar approach where they go to high schoolers and say, listen, Come here, we'll develop you, you stay here, and then if you don't, you know, if you get the chance, you can leave. But at the very minimum, you're gonna come here, you're gonna play, and we're gonna turn you into a good football player, and that will kind of become what their quote unquote brand is.
2: Tom, you know what you're I... describing? Yeah, a, a JUCO. Yeah, but that's Basically, what I'm saying. Right. Like what with the defined endpoint. That's
4: but I was, I think I was really we're...
2: hoping you were. Sorry, go
4: No, I was just gonna say what we're kind of and in every aspect we're getting more and more like professional sports Mm -hmm. and you know, the NFL is clearly the model that you look at, but I think the one area that's kind of naturally evolving potentially is a minor. I mean, it is minor league football, right? But it's a single a double a triple a type of model where the group of five will be perceived as maybe the lower tier guys that aren't good enough to get drafted right away. They go play it, you know, single a or double a, whatever you want to call it, maybe FCS, a single a, Group of five is double A, you know, and some of the lower tier, um, you know, uh, power five schools or a, a division, and then because we've seen a lot of transfers within, you know, the power five level too, and it's just kind of this levels of play start to start to evolve, and guess what else starts to evolve the pay the pay scale for it. I mean, I, a lot of teams have pay scale on there of what they're paying, you know, four stars, five stars. It'll be the same for all right, this group of five guy balled out, here's his pay scale. And it just kind of evolves into this, which is kind of crazy that there's no structure in place. Like those things were designed. It's just kind of happening. We're letting it morph into this, what it's becoming. It, I think this brings
2: up a really good point because did you guys read the, uh, the Dennis thought article uh, where, where he got the quote from Bubba Cunningham? No, it, it's, it's a really good read that Dennis dropped. Uh, Late last week, I think he dropped it on on Friday, Uh, but I I read it yesterday morning Um, titled with the NCAA back into a corner, the age of paying college athletes officially upon us, which obviously it's not officially upon us yet. But I I think the headline makes a lot of sense. Um, Quote from Bubba Cunningham. I do think we're probably two to three years away from having a different relationship with our student athletes. It won't necessarily be the student in the university. It may be employee employer. You want to slow down the transfer portal put these guys on contracts like mm-hmm. actual contracts with either legitimate buyouts or you know may- maybe no buyout language in there like that that's definitely a way to slow this thing down um and then you don't have to have a transfer window you have the guys under contract or or, or he's not um sorry that that's add, that's kind of that, derailing the combo but
3: that would require schools paying a little bit of that TV money that they want to keep
2: right yeah up. yeah for sure um so all right, Bama Bama killed it. They went and they got who Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, yep. Jermaine Burton, who I know we had like a long discussion about why he was transferred from Georgia the day. I don't want to get my Twitter like on fire again from all these that's been it stands. Uh, and then hater, yeah, seriously, I am, I am. Uh, who was the other kid they got? They, they took three. Um, Eli Rick. so like basically the best yep.
3: cornerback <laughs> in college football potentially. So just not a big deal.
1: Yeah, I, I wrote. I wrote that thing earlier this week at CBSSports.com, which was the top 20 players who weren't draft eligible this year who will become draft eligible next year. And Alabama had four players in that top 20 list, and two of them weren't on their roster two months before. You know, Gibbs and Ricks are two of those players. It's like, yeah, no, Alabama just plucks two of the top 20 players coming and just says, yeah, no, you're gonna play for us now. And you know what's crazy
3: about Burden? If you look at if you look at his physical profile. Um, just like his athletic testing traits, if he has one good year at Alabama, he's going to be a first
0: mm-hmm. round mm-hmm. Like there's,
3: there's no question. You can well, use he was.
1: He was like a five star at high school, right?
3: He was at a at least borderline a five star. High four.
2: Yeah. Yeah. With an but he was like he's like a 4'4",
3: like forty two inch vertical, like mm-hmm. three point nine five shuttle, which is ridiculous. Like 6'2", like two twenty. He's a, he is a freak straight up. Like and if he's going to have a more reliable quarterback, and I I bet he's over a thousand
2: yards next year. Get open. sorry sorry i'm not going there but i I do want to ask you though like so we are seeing some teams take 14 15 transfers in some cases um but realistically that's usually just these guys who just got hired and they realize that trying to sign a bunch of high schoolers in a a 10-day period is not not advisable do you right now we're not seeing championship teams like the the best teams in college football, the ones that are making the playoff, and especially the ones that are winning the playoff, they are not taking, like the vast majority of their player acquisition is still being done at the high school level. Like, do you think that's going to change to where we will see teams that are 40 or 50% portal win the national title? Or do you think they're still going to just bet on their own development?
3: Um, No, like, no, I think you have to develop High school players. I don't, I do not think there's a I do not think there's a reasonable strategy out there where you're landing 50% portal and winning a national title. You're always going to have to get the five stars. You're always going to have to get the high four stars. You're always going to have to have that essentially floor on your roster of players you've developed, players that have been through your program, players that are in your culture to win a national title. I I, I would be shocked if we ever get to a point where I don't I don't know a good example. Um, like let's say Florida State's taking like ten kids a cycle right now. I think Florida State's going to have to cycle down with the number of transfers they're taking if they ever hope to win a national title again. Because one, they're going to be in a position to win games and get recruits they're not able to get right now, at least consistently. And two, just because I don't think it's a feasible long-term strategy because you have to, it's even harder. Like it's hard to hit on a high school player and there are advantages in the portal when you do that. But a transfer miss is devastating because it's a scholarship loss. You don't get that back right away.
0: Like there are a lot of penalties
3: that come with that. And I just think, the high school route gives you a lot more flexibility long term than the transfer portal strategy, and I I don't think you'll ever see an Alabama taking ten or twelve transfers a cycle. All
2: right, uh, let's go ahead and throw a break real, real fast. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some of, some of Hummer's favorite guys in the portal, some gems that our ratings te- team uncovered, and uh, basically just you know talk a little more strategy. Which teams are taking advantage of this, and maybe who else could jump in? We'll see you guys in a second.
1: Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com
2: today. And we're back on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, Does does Chip do the hammer back from, from the ad break? I don't know. I don't listen to Chip. Who pays attention to Chip? I usually just meet myself during the ad break and like drink some water or, yeah. or whatever. And then I've realized like, Chip's to ask me a question. So I probably need to start thinking. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, oh, Mayor of Kingstown. Yeah. We, we were chatting about Paramount Plus. Mayor of Kingstown actually, I think, is pretty solid. So um, we won't share daddy's coffee on the other one, but that is. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: thoroughly enjoyed 1883. Still right in it. That's excellent. Definitely go watch.
2: Awesome. Uh, so, Hummer, enough Alabama talk. Um, we've talked a whole lot on this show about LSU and USC and what they've done in the portal and will do so again. So I don't really want to like rehash that for our, our listeners. Let's let's go like not down ballot, but just a couple spots down. Who are the programs, in your opinion, that are doing the best uh, with the transfer portal right now? Kind of you know relative to, uh, I guess, overall, but then also relative to their resources and, and their success.
4: I think
3: there's a few teams. Uh, I'll start out with some Kansas love. I probably That probably doesn't happen too often. No,
2: no, we we um, try to talk all teams. Lan- uh, yeah, I just meant in
3: general. Um, I think Lance Elyphold's done a really nice job. Um, Kansas was killed in the portal last year with the late coaching change that they had. But they've added some really high upside guys. Kai Thomas at running back coming over from Minnesota I think is going to pair really nicely uh, with what they already have. Their backfield's going to be pretty disgusting next year. They actually have four... Three former four-star prospects from the 2020 class on that roster right now, including Devin Neal, who had a bit of a breakout last, late last season. I think they're going to run the ball really well with their wide zone scheme. Eric Gilliard coming over from UCF at linebacker, multi-year starter for UCF, all-conference player. I think he's going to be a plug-and-play starter for Kansas. That's really nice. And I think, like, Craig Young coming over from Ohio State, going to Kansas, he's already probably the most athletic player on the roster instantly wasn't starting at Ohio State, but I think at Kansas, he'll make an immediate impact in terms of the athleticism on the back end. I really like what Kansas has done. Arizona probably deserves some love um, specifically because they finally addressed their quarterback situation with Jaden Bellara coming over from Arizona. But not only that, they also added Jacob Cowing, uh, we talked about earlier from UTEP, one of the best receivers in the group of five. You add that to a pretty disgusting 2022 class for Arizona, and that that group is that skill group, especially all of a sudden, is pretty dangerous. I think they're going to be a lot of fun as long as that offensive line doesn't pull like a Cincinnati Bengals. They'll be fine. Um, I really like what UCLA's done, like quietly. I know USC's gotten a lot of the attention, but they've added some really nice impact players. Jake Bobo, a wide receiver, coming over from Duke. Darius Masu, coming over from Hawaii, probably the best player in the Hawaii roster last year. Plug and play starter for them in the middle. Uh, Jacob Sykes, who they just—they oh, got the got D tackle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, over yeah, that from kid's Harvard. good. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be an immediate impact player for UCLA. We'll start right away, probably at Tech. Um I think UCLA's done a really nice job. Um, South Carolina, I, they had the headline players with Rattler and Stogner, but Devani Reed from Central Michigan is going to be an instant starter for them. Antoine Wells from James Madison's really good. I think there's a lot of teams, frankly, right now doing a very nice job in the portal just because there are so many good players in the portal. I think it's just managing what you lose on the other side of that that really makes a huge difference. But those are some of the teams that come top to mind when you talk about teams further down the portal ranking.
2: Yeah it 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 seems to me I mean Arizona and Kansas are they're, they're probably selling you know new, new coach smell new era but they're also likely selling playing time. Like th- this is really important maybe if you're a show that talks about I don't know sports wagering or anything like that ever uh these guys probably should not have a win total of you know Three for arizona or what was kansas last year one, one and a half i think yes um, that. i mean because they had they had the fcs game and then i think they yeah i think it was one and a half that no, was one and a half because i was on the under and i lost <laughs> yeah because they, they beat mm-hmm. shout out to texas go oh, horns welcome thank you get, 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 get mr appleby's catching a touchdown um what as, as far as the coaches who who are you know who are new right brian kelly and and, and riley and and billy napier think that's probably the the majority of the the new hires based on what usc has done so far i I know we said we wouldn't talk usc but i do have to ask this one um are they are they your favorite very early in 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 the pac-12 or at least in the pac-12 south i guess utah's still in the south uh what what do you think about what they're doing right now like like the level of commits they have is that something that's going to vault them up immediately or is it more of like a jump start
1: Um I think I think in the short term it's very helpful, but USC's problem the last
3: couple of years has been their offensive line and its offensive line and their strength up front on defense. And I think Alex Grinch's defense is gonna need a year or two to get the pieces in that he wants. And if you look at USC's transfer class, as good as it is, there's not a lot of impact offensive linemen. They got a tackle from Virginia, who I think it's probably gonna start, but like I think it's gonna take Lincoln Riley a couple of years of recruiting to really get that offensive line where it needs it to be to compete for championships. It might be okay in the Pac-12. I like Oregon and Utah heading into the next season. Those would be my two favorites. Uh, UCLA is right there as well. Um, but I still think USC has some issues it needs to address. Um, and quarterback kind of hangs over that right now too, because you might be Miller Moss and not about, that's about it right now if you don't get Caleb
2: Williams. Um, no, sorry, go ahead, Tom. Huh? No, I was just going to say, and that's why I'm pretty sure they're going to get Caleb Williams
4: me too so then where does that leave jackson dart uh he's old miss he, most likely Ole miss, yeah but, jackson um, dart
1: is, is kind of like an old miss qb he kind of fills that matt corral eye black hole that they're going to be missing next year he just steps right in grabs the same eye black and bam
2: he just keep going it makes <laughs> much sense
3: that anakin skywalker vibe yeah <laughs> <laughs> i
2: like that um chris who were for college football fans out there who are not following the twenty four seven sports transfer portal and, and not following Chris, uh, first of all, y'all need to do so. But a, a taste of, of what they would get if they're following. You. Who are some names? Let's go like non P five and FCS names uh, who college football fans are going to need to know in the fall. Got guys who you, you you and your recruiting you know team and and the guys that put the ranking on this, including you know Derek Chang and 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 obviously Brew. Uh, guys who have worked in college sports before. Doing this for us. Who are some guys that were just pleasant surprises? Like, oh man, this guy can really play. Like, it's a chance for him to move up and, and explode on the scene.
3: Yeah. All all credit to Derek and to Clint. Clint's a former uh power five quarterback, and Derek obviously had a long career. Uh I just report on stuff. But um I, I think I don't know how much of a sleeper you're talking. Uh Cameron Ward, I don't think, is a sleeper, but he's gonna start at Washington state next year. He's gonna throw for more than four thousand yards. Um, and that Eric Morris Harry. Um is going to be a name to know I think Washington State could be really interesting
2: like they Um, felt he was an upgrade on Delora who when was when he was healthy like played pretty damn well for Washington State like that says something right that they're like hey we're willing to upset our quarterback room to get this kid
3: I I don't want to hype up Cameron Ward too much but I'm going to do it because I had multiple I had multiple like player personnel and coaches tell me they think he's a borderline generational talent um, wow. He was a wing T quarterback in high school, had almost no film to speak of. I think he threw the ball a total of like 200 times his entire high school career. Eric Morris took a chance on his frame at Incarnate Word. He won the Ray, or Jerry Rice Award, which is given to the best freshman in the FCS. It's the same award Trey Lance won. He was the follow-up winner. Um, Cameron Ward lit the world on fire last year at Incarnate Word um he's still like there's some raw things with him um, in terms of processing decision making just stuff he hasn't done for long but in that system with his traits and like the some of the throws he makes guys like some of the throws and the arm angles he has the arm strength he has he is a future first round type talent if you can put it all together i i'm i'm giving it a hard sell but like this is backed up by like coaches telling me the same things like he could legitimately be the best quarterback in the pac 12 next year Maybe if Caleb Williams is there, it's a different question. But he is that talented, so I think that's a name people certainly need to know going into next year. Is Cameron Ward?
1: So, are you taking the over on Wazoo's win total then?
3: What is Wazoo's win total? I guess I don't know, care. but I'm just yeah. assuming.
1: I'm assuming you'll be on the over.
3: Uh, I think, yeah, maybe. Um, depending on how quickly Eric Morris can get his offense installed, I think Cameron Ward helps with that. Wazoo's got a pretty. Talented roster. There is some stability there um, with Dickert staying over essentially. So, yeah, I think the Pac-12 North is totally there for the taking right now. Um, Washington's going to be down. I think Oregon's going to be good. Stanford's clearly down. Uh, Oregon State um, is going to be what it has been. Um, Cal's a question mark. I think they're just what they are under Justin Wilcox, which is a pretty good defensive team and a team that is not going to scare you offensively so i think washington state could make some noise i think washington state could easily be like an eight win team next year if things break right maybe even better
2: oh they do oh they draw uh usc and utah from the south that's that's oh i would like to rescind my previous comment <laughs> no it's on the record now it's too late can't go back but um, maybe that means Hummer will get like a like a like a nice like six flat or maybe a six and a half number with some juice and can go over and you know if they go seven and five, you um, know it'd be a I great guess. way
1: for Cameron Ward to play himself into a first round pick is by beating USC and Utah. Exposure. I, mm-hmm. I
2: think I think people are going to
3: tune into pac twelve after dark mm-hmm. this year. They're going to turn on Washington State and they're going to go who the hell who the heck is that kid?
1: He's going to be like the the cult figure doing. of the twenty twenty two season. He,
3: He's going to be, I mean, Washington State has had its share of like awesome quarterbacks the last decade. And I think Cameron Ward is the most naturally talented of that group that have come through, like, without question. I think, I think he's going to put Luke Falk and Gardner Minshew, who were excellent on their own. Like, the level of talent in Cameron Ward's right arm is just insane compared to those guys. So it'll be, it'll be really fun to follow.
2: Can, can Texas block? Because I, I am just so excited about, about the potential they have on the outside. Let, let's, let's talk about the upgrades to the, to the Texas passing game. I mean, their, their recruiting class. I, I will say Texas.
3: I, I don't know. I don't know like what kind of deal, um, Steve Sarkeesian made with somebody to make this happen. Like, did he pull a Tom Brady and make a deal with the devil or something like that? But things broke so well for Texas after losing to Kansas. Like, Steve Sarkeesian had no business landing the class he did, but they put together one of the best offensive line classes at Texas in probably the last 25 years. Arguably, the best offensive line class in the country. I don't know how much that group is going to help right away, but I know for a fact Texas was going to take some grad transfer offensive linemen and transfer help that was going to help immediately and had to turn some of those guys away because their recruiting class was so good. Whether that translates on the offensive line next year, I think, is a question mark. Obviously, offensive line takes the longest to develop out of any position. I don't know if that's going to be much better in front of Hudson Carter Quinn Ewers, but when you talk about the long-term prospects of that line, it should be much better immediately. I, I don't know, but Bijan Robinson is going to be good no matter what. So I guess we'll I guess we'll find
2: out. I think about the pass catchers that got in the portal, plus yours. I mean, it, so I assume we heard all good things on on, on, on near. Or yeah, was kind of mixed feedback yet. Okay. No, I, I think
3: I think we have him as a four star, like a low four star. So he we consider him an impact guy right away. I think Texas really needs some stability besides Xavier Worthy. Um, they were hoping Jordan Whittington would be that guy, but. He, just has not been able to stay healthy during his entire career. But if he's healthy next year in the slot and you have uh, Isaiah on the other side, that's a pretty dirty uh, wide receiver trio Texas is working. Um, Especially when you think about them losing Joshua Moore to the and a couple of the other guys that have been on the fence. So Texas could be really explosive on the outside
0: if they get things uh, working.
2: Chris, uh, who's the guy or two who we got really Um, really differing feedback on. I I I know we do talk to a lot of personnel people in in order in addition to doing our own evals uh, and looking back at what we had on these guys in high school too. But um, I just know from years past, sometimes that I feel like the opinions on these high school players are not quite as varied, right? Because everybody gets the same, pretty much subscribes to the same services. You get the same verified times and stuff. When I would talk to coaches about different guys in the portal, I would get wildly different feedback some people will tell me this guy's a total stud and other people are like dude he never bounced back from the torn acl we were playing him at fullback you know um i, I mean the the lingered uh grade that we, that we uh, on uh on lorenzo linger uh was was a good example of that from miami a couple of years ago miami's like eh. and uf was really really excited about him i guess will his career still ongoing but who, who are some guys not to name the schools that told you he sucks or he's great but who are some of the guys that you're really interested to watch to see who was right about, about their, their strong takes. I
3: mean, Cameron Ward is actually one of them. Uh, I've had some people like really worry about how raw he is. Um, I don't want to focus too much on quarterbacks, but they're just top of mind all the time. I think JT Daniels is a really good example of that. Um, we'll see where he ends up. I've had some schools still think, tell me they think he could be an NFL player like quite easily. Um, the way he processes, how cerebral he is, how smart he is. I've also had a couple of schools tell me he's totally washed. Um, They worry about his injury history. He hasn't been healthy since his freshman year, college essentially. But I think people forget we had him just behind Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence in the 2018 class. He was the number one quarterback in the class that included Spencer Rattler, who I think is another guy where you get mixed feedback on, um, not really because of talent, but because of um, personality, I think is a better way. If you watch TV one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so everybody, yeah, yeah, Spencer, I don't think he was the easiest to deal with at Oklahoma, especially uh, when he wasn't starting. So I'm curious how that South Carolina experiment goes. But JT Daniels is a really interesting one. I, I don't know where he's going to end up. I think there's a pretty decent chance it's at like a group of five school on the West Coast. Um, but I still think I still believe in JT Daniels. I think he can be an NFL player. But I, I've talked to some people that think he's totally done. So I, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see what that's going to look like next year.
4: I lean on the side of Dunn if he's not beating out Stetson Bennett. Like...
3: He he just wasn't healthy this year. Um, I will say that, and I, I, I don't know if some. I think Stetson had the locker room, and
4: because he was healthy. Like I think there's something yeah. to like that part of being a quarterback is being you know durable and being able to withstand the hits, and they were odd injuries too. That you know the ACL is one thing that's everybody deals with that, but oblique and lat, those are those are injuries that are hard to put an x-ray on or an MRI on and say, this is it. And so then it becomes a pain tolerance thing. And then your teammates start to look at you differently. I think that's why he lost the team at Georgia. I think the players saw him in the training room all the time and they just checked out on him. And maybe maybe he can get 100% and he moves on and everything's fresh and he gets a fresh start. But I don't know. I'm not as sold on JT because, I mean, I I was telling these guys, I watched Stetson Bennett warm up and it was kind of dumbfounded. I'm like, holy cow, this looked like a fourth or fifth string walk-on like that I had a Florida state that like looked like they barely started for their high school team and not to take away, like he still won it all and he did it. But I was just a little bit surprised that, that JT couldn't, you know, hold him off.
3: Yes. Yeah, Stetson looked like a lot of us in good morning America after a really <laughs> long night out. And I, I don't even mean just like the eyes and everything. I mean like the physical stature, he looked like a lot of us. So <laughs> yeah. it's very interesting.
2: Absolutely. Chris, uh, what, what do you think is coming next for the portal? We're, we're going to get a portal combine, uh, Someday, do you think we're going to have any any guys like like are, are there is there anybody that you're either watching to see if they jump in right now that, that you want to reveal on the show? Pro, I don't know if it's really smart to break news in the 56 minutes of the podcast, uh, but <laughs> you know, especially not one that won't be released till, till later today. Uh, or are are there any holes at schools out there that you know they're still waiting on guys to fill? It's like, well, this school is going to take a, a tackle or a receiver or whatever, but they're waiting.
3: Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of schools still waiting to fill specific spots. Um, and I still think we're going to see a lot of volume of movement. I, I will say, like, and I, I, we can maybe talk again and not talk about quarterbacks specifically, but I had a coach tell me the other day they think there's going to be a big run on quarterbacks after the spring. And there are still some schools that are looking to solve that um, situation, some Power Five schools, even. I, a lot of schools in the group of five would love to upgrade a quarterback, certainly some power five schools as well. Like I'm thinking about like a Missouri or West Virginia that if somebody falls in their lap, they're not going to say no. You know what I mean? So I think we're going to see a run of that in the spring. Um, And every school in the country is still looking for another offensive tackle, another offensive guard. Um, So if those guys go in, um, everybody from Clemson to Alabama to Ohio state would love to upgrade that position. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a lot of pending kind of decisions that need to be made. we talked, we at 24 seven sports broke last night, the Kamara Whedon is going in the portal, a former five-star running back. And I think you're going to see several players of that stature still decide to enter the portal over the next couple of months as um, they see where they fit on the depth chart, or um, maybe they get, a, they get offered some deals on the side for NIL or what have it. Um, we're seeing a lot of that right now.
2: Well, that's the balancing of the room you talked about though, right? I mean, w- when we talked about Caleb, maybe an SEC school that recently won the national title worrying about its Current quarterback room, uh, but I know you mentioned on the College Ball Daily, which is the podcast of Trey Scott. You guys should absolutely go listen to as well every day. Uh, that Ohio State didn't want to take Ricks because it might cause a mass transfer in their corner room. How often do you think that situation is something maybe that fans don't understand that we can't just go shopping for every position in the portal because it could wreck our our long term future? I guess I think. I think people don't consider that at all. I think they see somebody go
3: on the portal and they're like, we, we need to jump on that. Um, and I, it's definitely played a factor at LSU with Eli Ricks. Um, they added Tanner McAllister to that room from Oklahoma State, but he's going to play safety. LSU, or I'm sorry, Ohio State was legitimately worried about three players auto entering as soon as they added another corner like Eli because they felt Eli was going to be guaranteed to start. And I don't think that's the case. Eli's just better than everybody in that room. But there were a lot of people in that room that were essentially using whatever leverage they had to prevent that from happening. And we see that at a couple of places. I mentioned Georgia earlier with Caleb, like in the Caleb Williams front, like at least offhand, like I think Kirby Smart is worried about upsetting the apple cart with his room. They go hard after Caleb Williams. I think that's the same thing at Miami. They're worried about not only like potentially losing Tyler Van Dyke, but they're worried about their wide receivers getting upset. There's a lot of things you have to balance. And there's a lot of personalities you have to balance with 85 players on a roster. And what is that like? Probably. 200 other parents, figures, um, influencers that are around these people that think they have a say. So there's just there's a lot to that, and coaches have to be very careful when they add a player. Which is why which is why I don't think you see a lot of transfers talk. Like on the college basketball side of things, these guys do interviews all the time. Coaches definitely tell, especially at like positions like quarterback, they ask quarterbacks not to talk to the media because they don't want it out there that they're pursuing that player. Like there's a lot that goes into that and a lot of secretive.
2: stuff with that because they don't want to spook their rooms awesome man uh tom danny you guys have anything else
4: no it's around right an
2: hour that is, that is perfect hitting our marks hey guys what do we do we hit thumbs up if we're on that if we're on that green texture like chris hummer which maybe that's the secret to getting all the scoop is to go back to an android I, I didn't have to to an iPhone. uh go ahead and give us those five stars on spotify if you're a longtime OG at Apple Pods, uh, keep in mind you can give us another five-star review if you've already given us one. It's has been a couple weeks, uh, so go ahead and give us another one there. And five-star thumbs up, like, subscribe, all that stuff. See you again tomorrow. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.